0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning us in for this 25th episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include actor John Ashton, director and now author Barry Sonnenfeld, writer and lawyer Mark Levine, music journalist Spencer Lee, and from Glee, Matthew Morrison. If you would, please take time to subscribe, share, like, and even leave a comment if you'd like. Our first guest is actor John Ashton. You remember him from the Beverly Hills Cop Movies, among many others. He'll be visiting about a brand new movie that's available virtually today. John Ashton on the line with us this morning. And first off, John, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Cameron. It's a pleasure to be here
0: and and john folks obviously know you from uh a couple of small movies you know beverly hills cop they may have heard of that uh, a couple of other things as well now th- tell us a little bit about uh the once upon a river uh coming out uh virtually today
1: yes well once upon a river is very different than beverly hills cop i can tell you that <laughs> <laughs> Uh yes, it's a wonderful little movie, uh, taken from a, a book, uh, Once Upon a River by Bonnie Joe Campbell. Um, uh about the Odyssey of a young girl, uh on, a, on her uh a trek up the river to find her mother who abandoned her when she was young and comes across all these interesting characters on her on her on her adventure and uh I'm one of the characters she comes across and we develop a great relationship and uh uh, I'm very proud of the movie. Um, it, it reads like a play. Uh, my my, uh, I got my degree in theater from USC, and uh, I did theater for a lot of years before I ever did films, and uh, this film reads like a play. It's about relationships and story, and and it's just, it's just a wonderful little movie. Uh, the character, uh, Kennedy de la Cerna plays Marco, and it's her first film, and she just shines in it. She's just wonderful in the movie. and. And uh, I really love our relationship in the film, and uh, um, I'm very proud of the film. Uh, we've been in festivals all over the world, and, and won all sorts of awards all over the world, and for the film and individually. And um, it opens today on uh, uh, FilmMovement.com. Uh, you can go there and find a theater and click on it and watch it in the convenience of your home. So uh, I'm very proud of the movie. It's uh, it's a. Uh, it's a real treat. It's a a story-driven, relationship-driven film. Uh, no blow-ups and any of that stuff. It's just all about people and, and their relationships and and her growing process and her odyssey. And Berula Rose directed it, and she was wonderful, and she also wrote the screenplay. And uh, I'm very proud of it, and everybody, in it's wonderful. And uh, so I I hope people go see
0: it and john right now i think relationships and uh learning about relationships uh, uh folks could learn a little bit and to, to have this released right now being so timely i mean uh how cool is that for you to have something that uh, maybe can lift some spirits if you will
1: well yeah you know i mean we're going through all this craziness in the world and everybody you know everybody's kind of fighting their way through it you know and uh it's it's kind of like the movie you know the craziness that happens to her and uh, her fighting her way through it and, and getting through everything, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, and I, 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 it's kind of... It, I, it was supposed to open in regular theaters. You can see the film in Canada in regular theaters, but here you have to do it virtually. And and uh, uh, it's kind of nice that the, the family can kind of get together and watch the film and, 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 and uh, uh, watch uh, this young girl's odyssey and it's uh, you know she's very very much like Annie Oakley. She hunts and fishes and very self-sufficient and uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful and our relationship's uh, wonderful in it and um, I'm very proud of it and I I, I hope people uh, they all get together as a family and and watch it and uh, enjoy it
0: and john you've been involved in in so many movies and television series and and obviously marketing this time around <laughs> has to be just a little different for you right well it's
1: a little different that's for sure uh you know because we're doing all our uh, interviews or zoom stuff now and uh you know i'm not the, the greatest technically inclined person you know so trying to figure all these zoom things out and stuff is, is kind of interesting for me so i'm I'm uh, going through a learning process myself. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's very different than, you know, going to the studio and sitting on the couch and doing your interview. And you're doing it on Zoom instead, you know, so uh, but I'm sitting on the couch now. So that's cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it does. It does have its uh, it does have its uh, good points, too. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, I mean the the nice thing about the the virtual theater is the whole family can see it for one ticket price, you know. Instead of going, you know, paying five movie theater tickets, you're paying for one ticket and the whole family can watch it. So it's it's kind of cool at that, that way, you know. That's so, right. You know, I mean the the life goes on and things change and we you got to kind of, you know, go with the flow. It's kind of like uh, being on the set, you know. When things happen, you got to improv. You know, you got to do improv, uh, you know, improvisations. And and so I think the whole world is doing improvisations now. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is right. And again, the the new film, Once Upon a River, you can get it virtually today. And and John, I want to make sure again and let folks know where they go online to uh, to to get the movie again.
1: They go to www.filmmovement.com slash Once Upon a River, and they'll find a theater, and they click on the link on that theater. They pay for their ticket, and they can the, the link works for three days, and they can sit and watch it in the convenience of their home. So uh, please go out and watch it. I, I, I'm i very proud of it, and I, and I think it's a very timely movie, and, and I think uh, the family's really going to enjoy it. It's a family thing. So... Um, I, 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 you know, uh, what can I say? I'm, I'm very proud of it. And uh, please, please go watch it.
0: There you go. Well, John, it's been great to visit with you this morning. I'm looking forward to uh, renting the movie and uh, checking it out over the weekend. Have a great weekend. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, the door is open. Call <laughs> me when, whenever you need me.
0: Up next is director best known as a director i should say also author now barry sonnenfeld talking about his book barry sonnenfeld call your mother first off barry thanks so much for taking the time
1: it's a pleasure
0: now, now barry the uh, you've got the, the the book barry sonnenfeld call your mother memoirs of a neurotic filmmaker and uh, who who put you up to this i guess is, is the question
2: you know what, in a weird way, it was uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, I live in Telluride, Colorado, and uh, he's my neighbor. And he told me I should try stand-up. And uh, I told him, aren't I too old? And he said, oh, yeah, you're way too old. Uh, so the second choice was trying to write a book that might be funny.
0: And, and, and where, does, where do you see the humor in life? Where, where do you draw that from in your life and, and in the writing as well?
2: Well, for me, you know, the worse the experience, the better the story. Uh, So I've had a lot of strange uh, experiences in my life with, uh, you know, sort of narcissistic parents and uh, film actors and uh, stuff like that. So uh, I draw up my comedy pretty much from surreal moments in my life.
0: And and you talk about some of some of the the actors and actresses that you've worked with. Who are who are maybe some of the ones that that really stick out memorably, whether uh, whether that's good or not. I guess I should say.
2: Well, you know, two of them uh, that have very different personalities were in the same movie. Both, uh, on the one hand, Tommy Lee Jones, who you know calls himself a rancher, and uh, Will Smith. Uh, Both uh, loved each other, and I loved working with both of them, but, boy, they were different. The funny thing about Tommy is in Men in Black, all of our guns were, you know, like space guns, so they didn't actually make any sound. So every time Tommy would shoot his gun, he would make the sound of a gun, and I'd have to say, cut, Tommy, don't do that, and he'd go, what? And I'd say, you're making space sounds, uh, and he would look at Will and Will would say, yeah, Tommy, you did it again. Take after take after take. Tommy was just like a little kid with a gun.
0: And, and you, you, you've seen some great successes in film. And uh, where where do you get the biggest sense of pride in, in maybe the accomplishments or, or the finished product?
2: You know, uh, it's a great experience, you know, making movies. The crews are really professional. The actors come in, and, and, and we have a really good time making the movie so for me it's it's making the movie and then editing the movie and making it better again because you always think you're going to make a better movie than you end up uh, shooting uh, uh, but uh, I really enjoy the finished product too but uh, for me it's uh, the the road getting there actually.
0: And and with uh, over the years, obviously, you've seen some great advances in technology. And and, and does that make things easier, or does that make it maybe uh, maybe gets you more back uh, back time logged in, if you will?
2: You know, it's funny. Uh, th- there are advances. Uh, you know, lenses are more sensitive to the light. We use digital instead of film. Uh, editing is digital, but it still takes pretty much the same amount of time. You just, uh, uh, it's interesting how the advances really haven't made much of a difference in expense or time to shoot or anything like that. But uh, the only thing I would say is lights are a lot cooler because uh, everything has now gone to like LED, so it's not as warm on the set as it used to be. Other than that, it's pretty much the same.
0: Now, now, Barry, who was it that, that first gave you the the intro into the entertainment world, or, or maybe a nudge, or, or just patted you on the back and said, hey, maybe you're on the right track? Who who was it that inspired you first?
2: Well, uh, I wouldn't call it inspiration, but when I got out of uh, college, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. I was a political science major, which wasn't going to get me anywhere. And my mother uh, said, why don't you go to film school? You like still photography, you like to write, and uh, film is just a lot of still photographs and writing. Uh, by the way, she was totally wrong about that. <laughs> and she also promised she uh, she, and my father would pay for graduate school. Of course, they didn't. So uh, many years later, I finally paid off my student loan. So I would say partly her, and then partly, you know, my philosophy is... Um, Figure out what will make you happy in life, and somehow you figure out a way to make a living doing it. And so when I got out of film school, I bought a used 16-millimeter camera. I felt if I owned a camera, I could call myself a cameraman. And uh, one night I met Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers at a party. He was getting ready to uh, shoot a trailer for Blood Simple, their first movie, as if it was a finished movie. And they were going to use a trailer to raise money, and I said I own a camera, and he said, "You're hired."
0: And for you to to see the how how movie and still photography and imagery inspired you, for you to be able to inspire a, a whole new generation of of filmmakers, what what how does that make you feel to know that that folks look up to you the same way? Uh,
2: if they met me, they wouldn't look up to me. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? It's very exciting. I'm. I'm I really am blessed to have the life I've had. And most important uh, is I have a great wife and great kids. And that's really made all the difference.
0: And again, the new book, Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother, Memoirs of a Neurotic Filmmaker. And Barry, always want to make sure and let folks know where they can keep up with not only the book, but uh, everything else you've got going on as well, sir. Uh,
2: Yeah, well, uh, right now I'm on this book tour, so that's taking up a lot of my time. And I might be... uh, Producing and directing something for Apple Television, but it's too early to talk about it.
0: There you go. Well, Barry, it has been a privilege to talk to you this morning and uh have a great rest of your week. Hopefully we can catch up again real soon, sir.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Up next, editor Mark Levine. He'll be talking about the book, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Mark Levine on the line with us and uh first off, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show.
3: Glad to do it. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Now, now the book, The Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, c- kind of unwrapped this for us. Uh, the official transcript, this is uh, this is one of the biggest trials in American history. And and what is it about this that has always held so much intrigue?
3: What's amazing about it is because it was a clash of cultures. It was a very conservative government led by a president who basically didn't thought he was above the law, who was prosecuting peaceful demonstrators in Chicago, who had long hair, yes, and who would against the draft. Um, and basically the trial got out of hand. The judge did not have... The, 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 the defendants made comments, which are some real wise-ass comments, <laughs> uh, and the judge egged them on. The judge egged them on. At the end of the trial, when the judge... Con- Convicted them all of contempt. Uh, that was overruled, several years later, and the appellate judges said that the judge's behavior was awful, that the judge provoked them. Uh, so that—that's what happened there. And, and, and one of the amazing things in that trial, by the way, originally, and a lot of people will be able to see this because Aaron Sorkin has a movie by the same name, *Trial mm-hmm. of the Chicago 7 which is going to be on Netflix shortly. Um, the, the government had originally there were eight defendants, one of them Bobby Seale, and he was the chairman of the Black Panther Party. He had not met these defendants until he came in to give a one-hour speech in Chicago, but he didn't have a lawyer. His lawyer got sick before the trial began, and the judge refused to postpone the trial so he could have his own lawyer. So whenever Bobby Seale said, I want to speak and defend myself, the judge said, you can't. And Bobby Seale said, hey, I'm entitled to my constitutional rights to speak. The judge, believe it or not, ended up putting... Bobby Thiel, a black man, in chains, in the courtroom. He was bound and gagged in the courtroom, in the American courtroom. And when that happened, boy, the whole world started watching. This was not justice in
0: America. It happened, of course. Do you think that the the trial of the Chicago 7, uh, I don't think there's a better timing to kind of look at maybe the the way the judicial system has let us down, not only now, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks with with questions about it now, but but, but this is kind of showing there is a history of that as well, right?
3: It does. I mean, the judicial system can work very fairly when judges are very impartial and when the Justice Department is very impartial. I mean, I think what's happened now is for the first time you have a an attorney general, first time since then, that an attorney general is so close to the president's office, almost doing the president's bidding. And that's what happened with John Mitchell. In 1968, President Johnson's attorney general, Ramsey Clark, said these people should not be prosecuted. They didn't do anything wrong. They were trying to demonstrate peacefully. And the police went in and clobbed them on the heads and caused the riot. Now, and then you had the trial and it was assigned to Judge Hoffman. Uh, Now the same thing. I mean, it's, you, have, you have Bill Barr, who was also very close to President Johnson, but in the interim, 50 years, you did not have the Justice Department that close. So if judges can do the—and it's awful. You have Republican judges voting one way and Democrat judges voting another way. not supposed to be that way. One of my very good friends, who was a clerk for a federal judge, asked the judge, how do you want this case decided? The clerks, you know, write the opinion sometimes, the first drafts of the opinion. And the judge told her— I want the case decided in accordance with the law. Didn't say I want this result or that result, which I think is what's happening today a lot. And I think it's one of the dangerous things with the, all the judges that are being appointed now and, and being rammed through. So respect for the system is being lost. The respect, the system, respect for the system of the law is being lost when people find, you know, I, I, I think most cops are great. I love them, they protect us. But there are couples who do things that are awful, that are wrong. They're awful. One of my friends said, you know, he used to say there's a lot of police violence against black people. I didn't believe him. But then the videos came out and showed it. Showed people getting shot in the back. And my black friend said to me, well, now, Mark, do you believe me? Because we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it until we saw the, the evidence. So we need respect for the law, and we need to support all our police officers who are good. But we've got to make sure the system... Works, and right now the way the legal system is, there's some laws that were passed that it's very hard to prosecute a bad cop, and it embarrasses the other cops, you know, because most of the cops are good, but the, the ones who you know put a knee on somebody's neck for eight and a half minutes, that doesn't give respect for the law, and that's one of the problems right now. <laughs> and I, quite honestly, I, I I'm thinking in current environment, the, I think I think you know, President Trump is. Encouraging disrespect for the law, saying don't listen to the scientists, don't listen to the lawyers, don't do this, don't do that. Um, saying that any coronavirus is a hoax. So I think we have a danger, because I think respect for law is the basis of our system in America.
0: And, 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 you, and you talk about the, the, the lack of respect if, if, there. Is it, is it as bad as some people say, or is it, and then again, there's the, the ones that say it's not bad at all. Is it that much worse than what they're seeing as well?
3: Well, you know, like everything else, the extreme behavior catches the headlines, regardless of who's reporting. Most of the protesters are peaceful, but yes, there are some people who are, who are looting and rioting, and the press understandably focuses on that. Uh, by the way, my personal opinion—I have a hunch—some of those protests, some of those people starting the violence, are really white supremacists trying to make the whole thing look bad, because that's what happened in Chicago. There were at least four undercover police people who, t- who testified at the trial. And they were the ones who were starting throwing the rocks. But who gets blamed? peaceful demonstrators. Because dem- demonstrating peacefully is what the system's about. That's what democracy's about, First Amendment. And Richard Nixon tried to suppress it. And a lot of, the, I think, a lot of the police are trying to repress it. Today, or you know, the police aren't necessarily. But when, when federal troops are put in against the governor's witches, I think that's trying to stifle dissent. And I think that's what's happening here. We used to have a country where everybody wanted to do the right thing, uh, and the president was president of all the people. And I'm afraid to say it right now, I'm really, I'm really embarrassed. I mean, I want my kids to look up to the president as somebody who's honest and nice. <laughs> and uh, except I think what's happening right now is we're trying to be, uh, he's trying to divide us. And, and we had that division after, in the 60s, and look what it's led us to. We have to be fair to everybody.
0: That's right. And again, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, the official transcript coming out on October 6th. And, uh, Mark, I want to make sure, and uh, let our listeners know, if they, if they want more information about the book uh, before the release, uh, where, the, where can they find that, Mark?
3: Well, uh, the website is The uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, but interestingly, Aaron Sorkin has a movie coming out that's now in the theaters, and it's also called The Trial of Chicago Seven. Uh, and that's going to be on Netflix on October 16th. But the book is going to be available online at Powell's bookstore, at Amazon bookstore. Uh, and they're shipping it out beginning uh, October 6th. And they say, we, what we did, we took the 22,000 pages of the record, official court transcript and very fairly edited it down into, in this case, around 340 pages. Uh, and our biggest compliment, we've got it. It's from conservative, some conservative publications who said this is a very, very fair editing. It shows both sides. And unfortunately, both showing both sides shows that the judicial, the judicial system did not did not work
0: then. All right. Well, Mark, it has been great to visit with you this morning. Looking forward to spending some time with the book myself, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend, sir. Cameron, you too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Up next, Spencer Lee talks about his new book coming out next week Bob Dylan Outlaw Blues. Acclaimed uh, music biographer Spencer Lee has a new book about Bob Dylan that is coming out uh, next week Bob Dylan Outlaw Blues. And uh, we have Spencer on the line with us this morning. And first off, Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh,
4: I'm delighted, delighted to do so. And uh, greetings from Liverpool to you, Cameron.
0: Uh, you can definitely tell you are you are across the pond this morning. All <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> now, now, Spencer. Well, the, the way things are going, I think I'll
4: hardly be across your side for some years. but There we are. Yeah.
0: I think I think you're right. Now, the the, the new book, uh, Bob Dylan Outlaw Blues. How how long of a process was it from the from the conception and through all the interviews and everything to finality?
4: I, I once asked Charles Aznavour how long he wrote one of his songs, how long it had taken him, and he said, 20 years and 20 minutes. <laughs> in other words, I've lived Bob Dylan for the last 50 years or so, and then in the last four or five years I thought, well let, let's do a book about it. But over the years I've interviewed so many people for my show on the BBC Radio Merseyside, and I've nearly always asked them about Bob Dylan, so I got lots and lots of quotes of other musicians talking about Bob Dylan. So I got their the favorite tracks and the like, and so I, I got a real bedrock of interviews that I could draw upon. And then I really enjoyed telling his story. And in the book, I wanted to do his backstory as well. I wanted to write about his influences. I wanted to write about the people who were regarded as the new Dylans, like John Prine and Bruce Springsteen and Loudon Wainwright at different times. And also uh, the people who influenced Bob Dylan. And uh, Woody Guthrie from Oklahoma was an absolutely uh, amazing influence on Bob Dylan.
0: Now now for you, what was it about Bob Dylan that really spoke to you as a fan?
4: I think it was everything. The first time I heard a Bob Dylan record, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I'd never heard anybody sing like that before. I mean, such an unusual voice. And the songs were just so striking and and so marvelous. Uh, That first album, he only wrote two of the songs on it, and he did standards on it. But, I mean, in the book, for example, Eric Burden of The Animals from Newcastle told me that he heard that first album and he heard The House of the Rising Sun on it. And a couple of years later, you know, they did a rock version of it. So it influenced all sorts of people, even though it hardly had any, any of his own songs on it. And then, you know, you had the freewheeling Bob Dylan, and they were songs like I'd never heard before. Uh, blowing in the wind is is only nine questions as it happens and the answer is blowing in the wind is really no answer at all but it is an extraordinary song and it is so powerful when you hear it sung at uh, mass meetings and the like and in fact John Lennon liked that song so much that he wanted a song like that and he wrote Imagine because of it so he, he just wrote all these great songs and he was tackling political matters in his songs in the early 60s, that, that, that's a period I particularly like. And there were so many great songs that he wrote. And so, uh, you know, Masters of War is so, is so full of venom and it's such a wonderful song about the people who make the bombs. It, it, it's just amazing stuff. And I think he, he's gone on and written remarkable stuff all the way through his career. Um, even recently, with his, the album that he's released now, he's seventy nine. I mean, "Murder Most Foul" on that was released as a single, even though it was eighteen minutes long, and it topped the American charts. So, how about that?
0: <laughs> and, and, and what do you what do you think it is that uh, that makes his uh, his legacy endure and the and the newer generations of fans that uh, that are flocking to him as well?
4: I think there are so many songs that people can draw upon. Uh, and the people who I've got in the book uh, a list of some of the best covers of his songs. And, I mean, that's, that's, that in itself stretches to about 20 pages because there was stuff I didn't want to leave out. And it just shows the sheer variety of the people who recorded the songs and done them in so many different ways. And I think uh, that's, that's quite re- remarkable about him. I mean, if I just open the page at random, I mean, cover versions are like... Eric Clapton doing fine language, Jerry Lee Lewis singing Rita May. These are little known songs, but they're great songs of his. And, uh, you know, songs like This Wheel's On Fire and The Times They Are Changing, they've been done by hundreds of people. And, you know, almost wherever there's a guitar, people will be singing Bob Dylan songs
0: and and for you especially the times we're living in so much uh, so much unrest and do you how can you quantify the effect that he's had on musicians who are now willing to to step forward and let their voices be heard
4: i, I think people will always be, uh, the real influences of people are bob dylan and the beatles and i think it is very interesting that the beatles bob dylan the beach boys the kinks the who um great groups like uh, Love and Spoonful in America, all, all these groups and acts were all around at the same time, and I think that that made them very, very competitive. If they, if they couldn't come up with the goods, there were lots of other bands who could come up with them, so they had to make really good albums, and so you had one amazing album after another in the 1960s, and I don't feel that you actually get that today. And the songs that Dylan wrote have have just endured. People people are singing them all the time. I mean, even if you switch on some TV talent show, there's a good chance that someone will be singing a Bob Dylan song on there.
0: That is right now, uh, Spencer. If folks want to find out more information uh, about the book coming out on the sixth, where can uh, where can folks find out more information?
4: Well, uh, I mean, Barnes & Noble are, are in the book, and, and Amazon, and, you know, I, I don't know all the different shops in the States, but you, you can get it easily in the States. Um, you can buy it online, and I, I do have a website, actually, uh, pensaleco.uk, so, I mean, if anyone wants to get in touch with me or wants a signed copy or anything, I'm happy to do
0: it. All right. Well, Spencer, it's been uh, great to visit with you this morning. Looking forward to, uh, to spending some time with the new book, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon, sir. Okay. Thank you very much indeed, Cameron. And it is a Friday show, so with that in mind, we'll do a flashback to earlier this year. Talk to Matthew Morrison. You remember him from Glee? He had a new CD we talked about earlier this year, Disney Dreaming with Matthew Morrison. Matthew, thanks for taking the time to be on the show.
5: Always a pleasure to be here, Cameron. Thank you for having me
0: and uh, we get to talk about a new album of music for you, Disney Dreaming with Matthew Morrison and, and I guess you were kind of a shoe in for for the album, right?
5: <laughs> uh, well, you know it, it's something that I, I definitely uh, have been singing these Disney songs to my son, uh, who's two and a half now, singing the sleep we have uh, dance parties when we wake up every morning, and it's just something that uh, you know, music and dance is just so, so, such a part of our lives. And uh, Disney, you know, kind of approached me to do this album, and I jumped at the opportunity because, I, I mean, I'm singing these songs anyway. And just to put my own spin and my own take on these classic Disney songs, they gave me access to the complete um, Disney catalog. And I've been having such a blast uh, doing this record, and uh, I'm so happy that it's finally out there it's for the world.
0: And and are you excited also that you can actually say record again?
5: Uh, yeah, I know. In terms of vinyl,
1: yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
5: Yeah, no, it's nice to have that out there. It's uh, I I've always appreciated vinyl. You know, it's I it's funny because one of the songs I do I do this mashup of uh, Zippity Doodah and bare Necessities on this record, and it's uh, something that that is so synonymous with my childhood, and I actually remember putting these songs on the record player when, uh, when I was growing
0: up. That's awesome. Now, uh, another question I got for you, I was looking at your track list. Was there any of them that you actually had to have lyrics in front of you on?
5: I, I mean, I, I think when you're in the studio, you always, have to have, you always should have lyrics in front of you. But, but, I mean, but yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's, you feel like you know all these songs. I think the biggest one is probably Friend Like Me. There's a lot of, uh, it's a pretty fast song. It's just hard to keep up, but uh, yeah, I definitely have to know them for sure now when I'm starting to perform these songs live.
0: Now, now which one of them was, uh, w- was the one that now that you look back at it, you're the most proud of?
5: You know, it, it, it's, it was my, my mission in this, this uh, album to really kind of put my own spin on these songs. Um, I think You'll Be In My Heart is the one I'm most proud of. It's, it's uh, I don't know, just the sentiment of that song. It really just touches me uh, since becoming a father. Um, you know, love has a whole new meaning. and it's, it's this promise of unconditional love. And I, I just, I love this song so much. And every time I sing it, I get, I get quite emotional, to be honest.
0: And, and with your time on, on, on Broadway and, and in front of the stage, on the stage and, and on the screen as well, obviously, you know how much Disney has played a role in each of our lives. And to be able to pay homage and tribute to those in your own special way on the new album.
5: Yeah, I mean, Disney is really this multi-generational thing that we, uh, we all grew up with and, you know, definitely our children and probably our grandchildren will all know. And um, I think it's beautiful. And I think the, the reason that, that this music touches everyone is the stories that are kind of within these songs. You get to see this visual, it, kind of in the way that Glee did it. You know, you know we, we have these amazing songs that we all know and love but we we weave the story within, it. so it, it kind of made these songs pop a little bit more, and um, and these songs really just have so much heart and there's so much sentiment within them, and I think there's a reason why these are kind of timeless.
0: Now the new album is uh, is available now, and uh, Matthew always want to make sure and let folks know where they can where they can pick up the album and uh, and also keep up with everything you've got going on social media wise as well.
5: Yeah, well, you can go to your local Tower Records. Oh, wait, no, that's, no, that's not it. A... Um, yeah, you, you can go anywhere. This, uh, this album is available, any digital platform you could think of. Um, and you can follow me on at Matthew Morrison. And uh, stay tuned. I, I, I'm doing concerts all over the place. So uh, maybe, ho- hopefully, someone somewhere near uh, Oklahoma City soon.
0: And, and Matthew, you talked about uh, being able to, to, to get the, a hold of the music just about anywhere. And what, is, what has been the biggest, uh, the, the biggest challenge for you as the, as the technology and everything else evolves as, as you're creating new, new projects?
5: I think this should, just the, the demand to put more out. Um, because everyone... I don't know, it's interesting. I, I think... I think the way people intake things now is just so fast and like, okay, on to the next. To, to make something that is lasting. And I think that's why I wanted to team up with Disney because obviously they're, they're, their stuff is so timeless and they have, they have stood the test of time. I, I feel like putting my spin on these songs might actually um, keep people wanting to
1: come back for more.
0: That's awesome. And again, the uh, the new album, Disney Dreaming" with Matthew Morrison, available now. And Matthew, always great to visit with you. I hope you have a great rest of your week, sir. Thank you, Cameron. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again for tuning us in for this 25th episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, a question, or anything else you'd like to know, find me on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook, at GQWithCam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for the podcast, feel free to click the support tab and follow the instructions. If you have a special guest idea, be sure and email me, Cameron, at kwhw.com. We'll see you for episode 26 real soon.